Thank you, uh, JP. Um, all right, so good to see that it appears all of you survived, I mean, enjoyed Thanksgiving. And glad you made it here. We are jumping in, as we know, to a uh, season of Advent. It's the it's it's Christmas season. And, and Advent is in the traditional Christian church parlance for anyone who didn't know. This is a time of waiting, a time of expectant waiting for the birth of Jesus, the nativity. So basically, between now and Christmas Day, it's uh, ramp up to Jesus's birthday. That's why I wore my ugly Jesus birthday boy sweater, because we're getting ready to party. It's basically a month of preparation for a birthday. Speaking of birthdays, did you all know we have a special birthday today? Armand, 94 years old today. That's amazing on so many levels. So uh, happy birthday. Glad you are here uh, with us. So, so the Advent season, again, these are the, we, we kind of honor them the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. Sometimes they don't start till December. Here we are still in November. And, you know, we, we do hope, peace, love, and joy. And for some reason in unity, we tend to call hope not such a great thing, and we lean on faith instead. In fact, um, I believe it was Myrtle Fillmore that said, um, hope is a weaker brand of faith. Hope gets a bad rap in, in unity, but I don't think it deserves that um, as well. And, and I'm going to talk about that in, in a little bit, but one of the things I always need to address this time of year, I believe, is, and this is where the the hope and faith kind of dichotomy comes in, right? Do we, do we as spiritual seekers who are grounded in unity, do we lean on hope or do we abandon hope and turn to faith instead or do we do, we do both? And part of why I think it's okay for both is because of the, the dichotomy the, 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 of, the, of the Christmas story itself. Of, of, the, of the scene that we often see that we attribute to Christmas. We have you know, Mary, Joseph, the baby Jesus in the manger. We got shepherds. We got the wise men. This is, this is a scene that is familiar to us all. Pretty much most of this is not true. It did, didn't, didn't happen this way. Okay, remember last week I talked about uh, you know, as we're going to Thanksgiving, we may have these discussions with our family of preferred history versus actual history. This is preferred history. This is a lot of artistic and theological license uh, that, was, that was taken. I hope I don't ruin Christmas for anyone. But I remember when I first discovered the truth of the real Christmas story, or lack thereof, that... It, it sort of disturbed me a little bit. I almost stopped believing in Christmas. Um, but this was part of my whole, you know, crisis of faith at the time when I, when I was learning about the actual history and of, of the Bible and, and theology. For example, like, we celebrate Christmas, the nativity, the birth of Jesus during this time of year. It probably didn't happen this time of year. 
probably happened in spring. Why? Because we read that, you know, the shepherds were out in the field. They're not going to be out in the field this time of year in, in the Middle East, because even though it's traditionally warmer, it still gets really, really cold. So that probably didn't happen. It probably didn't also happen in Bethlehem. Uh, Christian historians are pretty certain Jesus may have been born in the town he grew up in, Nazareth. But they had to make his birth in Bethlehem because of earlier prophecies in the Old Testament. So they did a lot of reverse engineering, right? Because at the time Jesus was born and was alive, it took a while for people to believe that he might have been the Messiah that they were predicting about. In fact, most people did not believe that he was, especially after he was crucified. Imagine that you were being told, like, this person is going to lead you to freedom and liberation, and then they're dead. And it kind of messes with that whole narrative. So a lot of after the fact was, oh, it was, it was more of a spiritual liberation and freedom that he was here to lead us in. Oh, how can we prove that? Oh, there's these great prophecies back in the Old Testament. They must have been about him, right? So that was a lot of the story. And in those prophecies, it spoke of out of Bethlehem, the city of David. So therefore, we had to have Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. Well, what would make this poor family, this poor carpenter and his, and his young wife go all the way to Bethlehem? So then we created the census, that they had to travel to Bethlehem. Romans were meticulous historians. And there's really no record of that happening. Oh, they took censuses, don't make no mistake. But to ask people to go to the city of their ancestral birth, that would have been chaos. People traveling willy-nilly all over the place. Romans didn't like chaos. Any chaos. Administratively, politically, they did not like that. So that probably didn't happen either, that journey. Um, the manger scene, okay, let's say they got there, right? Um, if there was no room and they were supposed to be in a place where animals were kept, it was probably some cave or alcove in the back. Probably didn't smell great because that's where the animals were. It probably wasn't this idyllic, beautific scene because if there's nothing you want when you have a new baby is for not a lot of things to disturb its sleep. And you got animals bleeding, you got sheep, you got cows mooing, like probably wasn't that great a scene. The wise men definitely were not there. If you read the Bible carefully, it says they, they, they came to Mary and Joseph when they were living in a house. And so it was either a manger or a house. Which one was it? And, and some people think this didn't happen until two or three years after Jesus was born. But folks, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. <laughs> I always say. All right? So we take some license, and next thing you know, we end up with, with this scene. Okay? So it took me a while to make peace with preferred history and actual history and realize that because it was an actual history doesn't take away from the intended message here. This is a, this is a message of inspiration. This is a message of hope. 
This is a message that, that, that says, out of the humblest of beginnings, anyone, anyone can be the embodiment of all that God is. And that's what Jesus was. That's what we all are. And this story seeks to set up the context for that, the beginning for that. I can embrace this story as I think of the, the, the metaphysics behind it, of what the characters and the story itself represents about my own journey. And today on this first Sunday of Advent, we look at, we, we look at hope. And as I said earlier, in unity, hope tends to get this bad rap, a weaker brand of faith. I don't look at it that way at all. See, in my, in my theology, and specifically in my Christology, that's just a fancy word for what do I believe about Jesus and the Christ? We are both fully human and both fully divine. We are fully divine because if God is all there is, if God is all there is, then everything is inherently divine. And we're fully human. Our DNA tells us that. We're not part any other animal. We're just human. We're fully divine. We are fully human. Faith is a divine quality. Hope is a human quality. As humans, we are a mishmash of thoughts, beliefs, feelings. We see the world in, in dualities. We are subject to time. We are born, we live, we die. We remember things that happened in the past. We ground ourselves in the present. We anticipate, think about, sometimes look forward to, sometimes worry about the future. Time plays an important part in who we are as human beings. In the divine realm, time does not exist. Location does not exist. God is not, spirit is not, love is not bound by time or location. It just is. Which is hard for us humans to wrap our brains around because our brains think linear, linearly over time. From a divine, absolute point of view, there is no time. Everything just is. And there's no words I can tell you to make you understand that. <laughs> Hope is that human quality of expectancy of good to come in the future. Hope is when we see our current circumstances and know that they and us can be better. Hope inspires us to do better, to be better. Hope sees the world as a place that is not created with love, justice, and equity for all and says, we can do better. We can be better. Hope invites the best of us to come forward. I love hope. 
that quote that we shared earlier, regardless of the darkness that surrounds us, there is that expectation that light can emerge, and that's what hope is. I see nothing wrong with hope. I don't think hope is weak at all. No offense to the Fillmores and what they thought, but I see nothing weak about hope. It takes great strength in the midst of all darkness and oppression to imagine, to dream, to wish, to look forward to something other than that. And then to act on that, that takes courage, that takes strength. So don't think any less of hope. And realize that that's only half the equation. Remember, we're fully divine and we're fully human. And again, this is a weird concept. It's not that we're half human, half divine. Right? That's not what it is. We're not, we're not like a centaur. Remember centaur in the Greek mythology? Right? A half, human up here, horse, the rest. Right? We're not half and half. We're two holes. Right? Again, that doesn't make two of us. just makes one of us. Words have limits. Okay? But... but we are, whole, we are wholly human, we're wholly divine as well. And faith, faith is a divine attribute. If you've spent any time with our 12 powers, you know faith is one of those 12 powers. Faith is that knowing beyond knowing that as divine beings, we also transcend space and time. That we are the fullness of love. We are the fullness of that which we seek to experience in our human experience. All that we seek, all that we yearn, we already are. In our human experience, we seek to experience love. We want to be loved. Not for who you think I am or what you want me to be. Just love me for me. That was a line from Buju Banton, by the way. No reggae fans in the house. Mm, that fell flat. All right. <laughs> but, but we seek love. We seek connection. Right? Whether it's, it's, it's through a life partner or it's with family or friends. We don't want to experience life alone. Love is not something we feel. Love is something we experience. Love is a flow of give and receive. We, we, and, and, and when that's not in our life, we, we feel the absence of it. We yearn for it. That's the, that's the human experience of it. The divine truth of it is that the quality, the energy, the, the experience of love is what we already are. We are it. We don't need it from outside of ourselves to experience it or to be it. We already are it. That's a bit of the paradox. Well, how can I be it if I don't feel it? And that's why I say to people sometimes, feelings are overrated and fickle. And on the other hand, if we begin with the knowing, with the faith, if we begin with the knowing that we are love and we live from that knowing, 
then that's how we show up in the world. And when we show up as love, chances are that's what we will experience. Because others around us can't help but love us back. And even if they don't, because we're showing up as it and being it, we don't have to be dependent on receiving it back to be feeling it. This is the power of, of the faith, of the knowing that we already are it. That knowing beyond knowing. That knowing beyond feeling. That knowing beyond I need to experience it outside of myself to know it to be true. And this is where the power of belief comes from. I believe belief is what happens when hope, the expectancy and the seeking of that which we desire, plus faith, the knowing we already are that, leads to the formulation of thoughts, which leads to actions, which leads us to living it out. And all your actions and thoughts start with your beliefs. If you're not clear about what you believe, just look at what you do. Even if you say you believe a thing, look at your actions. Do your actions, are your actions, concurrent with what you say you believe? And if they're not... Time to be honest. You didn't really believe it in the first place. Now you might be saying, now hold on. There may be situations where I can't act on my beliefs. And I say to you, there are situations where you choose not to. And if you're choosing not to, perhaps you really don't believe what you say you believe. Do you believe in a world of love, justice, and equity for all. Do you act on that in your words, in your thoughts, in your actions? And when I say actions, I mean everything. In where you buy things from, in where you give money to, in what you say online on social media, in how you vote when it's election time. These are the actions in who you keep as your circle of friends, in how you challenge your friends, sometimes when they say things that make you go, hmm? That's how you know what you truly believe. Because what most often happens is what we believe in, most of all, is our feelings of safety and comfort. Those often take true precedent over any other belief. So we don't want to be uncomfortable and say something to a friend, a co-worker, an employer, a fellow congregant. But... If there's any model we can follow, is the model of the birthday boy that we're about to lead up to celebrating. 
Because from the humblest of beginnings, by all accounts that we have, he was someone who did not hesitate to speak truth to power. He was one who did not hesitate to see, to see the true humanity. Indeed, the divinity of every person he encountered. He healed people from his fellow Israelites to the Romans who oppressed them. From the poorest to even the rich tax collectors that he dined with. at a time that was even more horrendously patriarchal than we live in now. We know he had women who were part of his inside circle. We don't read about that a lot in the Bible because the Bible was mostly written by and assembled by and distributed by men. That's a whole other talk for another time. <laughs> but... Often when I speak of the actual history, the Bible, these stories, when I tell people, no, I don't believe Jesus actually walked in water. No, I don't believe he was actually bodily resurrected from the dead. Getting ahead of myself, that's an Easter story. Wheel it back. No, I don't believe that he was born of a virgin. When I tell people this and they say, well, how can you still then do what you do? I go because I may not agree with the facts as we're presented, but what I do agree with is the inspiration of his life. And my goal, my hope, and the beliefs that I have grounded on the faith that I am just as divine as he was is that I, in my thoughts, in my words, my beliefs and my actions, I be a stand for seeing the full divinity and the full humanity of everyone I encounter, that I speak truth to power, that I am an exemplar of love in action. When needs be, I get a little pissed off too, as he did. When people ask, what would Jesus do? I remind them that flipping tables and losing my temper is an option because <laughs> he did that. So during this time, during this time, as we lead up to Christmas, during this time and beyond, should the actual history in any way make you feel silly or others question it, remember what this story really stands for. 
this story stands for each and every one of us. Each and every one of us. Awakening to the full divinity that we are. When we live from our full divinity, we truly become the best of our humanity. And this is what this season is about. Be the best human that you can possibly be. And in so doing, the fullness of your divinity will be made known to all. Let us take us into some meditation time. So I invite you to ground both feet on the floor. Gently close the eyes if you are comfortable. Feel free to leave them open if you'd like. Take a deep breath. Settle into the body. And in so doing, center in this moment. Breathe. With each out-breath, allowing the body to relax, to soften a little more. With each in-breath, turning your attention to your heart space. with both the hope and the faith that we are. The hope that as we live that divine quality of faith that springs from our consciousness we continue to be the best human embodiment of the divine What do you hope for? Know in faith that you are already it. That you already have all you need to be that which you hope for. rest in this affirmation 
I already am all that I seek for a few moments in the silence. I already am all that I seek. Take this truth with you today, every day. And let it be that which empowers you to not just believe that you are the embodiment, the fullness of the divine, but that you live as if it is so. And so it is.